Good morning. Wonderful to see you all this morning. It's good to be back. It's so good to be back, having had a three-month sabbatical break. It's so good to be back with my church family. I've had a wonderful week this week as we've had a week of prayer here and many wonderful times gathering here and scattered across the area as well, uh, praying together. It's been a good week to start back. Um, Before we get into today's message, we just want to take a few minutes to uh, give thanks to God for uh, Queen Elizabeth II and to pray for King Charles III as well. This is something, friends, that is pleasing to God. I want to show you this from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says to his, uh, his friend Timothy, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So to pray for those, to thank God for those who are in power in our country, and to pray for them, it's pleasing to God. It's pleasing to him. And we just want to take a moment to, to do that. I've just prepared a few things uh, here uh, that I just felt was appropriate to share. So for most people here, uh, Queen Elizabeth II was the only monarch we've ever known on the throne of this nation. Only a very few here would remember her father, King George VI. And for many of us here, ever since we've been alive, she's been an older lady. For me and for many of us here, I mean, she was in her 60s when I was born. And it's felt like she's always been around. It's felt like she was part of this country in a big way. And the reason that her passing is such a big deal is because we were genuinely proud to call her our queen. We were genuinely proud of the way she represented our nation, the way she carried herself, the way she commanded respect in the way she did that. She was dedicated to her role. She didn't shirk her responsibilities. And she represented us, as I say, overseas when she traveled, but also when world leaders came to this country. She represented our nation well. And she spread kindness and joy. She was known as a woman of kindness and joy. Many of the tributes that have come in of her sense of humor and the way in which she brought lightness to uh, proceedings. And I believe she was known uh, for that because she knew her Savior, Jesus Christ. She knew Jesus to be her Lord and her Savior. She worshipped him. It wasn't for her some kind of, uh, I've got to pretend that I, that I follow Jesus because I'm the, the head of the Church of England. No, she really did have a living and active faith in Jesus Christ. And one politician said a couple of days ago, she was a constant in all of our lives, but the constant in her life was her Lord Jesus Christ. She really did have a faith in him. And she wasn't ashamed to speak of her faith either. On many occasions, on her Christmas Day speeches and Easter time, she would speak of Jesus Christ in an era, in an age where politicians and other public figures don't do God. We've heard politicians say that, we don't do God. And she was unashamed to speak of her love for Jesus. And that is something that is inspiration for us. We may never know quite how profound an effect she had on the affairs of this nation. She held a weekly audience with her 15 prime ministers over the course of her 70-year reign. A weekly audience with them where she would give her counsel and her advice and listen to what they had to say. 
whatever our politics may be, there is no denying that we live in a steady nation. We are a very steady nation compared to many nations around the world where when it comes to the transition of power, everyone holds a breath because they don't know what's going to happen next. And she played a big part in the steadiness that our nation has known politically over the last 70 years. We will sorely miss her Christian influence in the affairs of the nation. The span of her life and reign was extraordinary, from post-war poverty to 21st century prosperity. Her first prime minister was Winston Churchill, and he was born over about, about 150 years ago. Her reign lasted almost as uh, almost half the length that Canada has even existed. She was head of state for Canada for almost half of its existence. It's extraordinary. And so we thank God for her life. We thank God for her influence in this nation. And we're going to spend some time praying for King Charles III, her son, that he will also know the love of Jesus in his life in a profound way. So shall we do that now? Shall we stand together? And let's pray. Father God, we just come before you now, knowing that this is pleasing to you, that we might pray for those and thank God for those who are in leadership in our nation. And so we just lift up uh, our nation to you right now, Lord, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an unusual time, in a difficult time. And we pray, Lord God, that you would come and move in this nation. Just as we will pray at the end, we pray you'll come and move in this nation. Come and blow upon this nation in mighty ways, Lord. And we thank you so much for Queen Elizabeth II. Thank you for her reign. Thank you for the way in which you saved her many years ago. We sang God save the Queen, but you saved her many years ago, Lord. And uh, we thank you that she's now with you, meeting the King of Kings, laying down her earthly crown, and, uh, and, and meeting with you. And we thank you for her life and all that she meant to this nation and for her example. And we pray for her son, We pray for King Charles that he really would know you. We don't know where he's at in faith. I pray that he would know you. We pray that he would come to know you. We pray that he would have a living, active faith in you, Lord Jesus. And we ask you that he would bring godly influence into the affairs of this nation. And just as we've had a new prime minister starting this week as well, we pray for Liz Truss. We pray that you give her wisdom. And Lord, if she doesn't know you, let her come to know you, we pray. And let her lead well in this nation. Let us, our nation know uh, steadiness, but let our nation know revival uh, of, of you, Lord, and to know you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When you like to take your seats. Um, just to say that after this uh, service, at one o'clock in the town center, there is a short service uh, it's proclaiming the ascension of King Charles to the throne, and uh, we're expecting about 7,000 people to come into the town centre today, um, so it will be pretty busy after the service, and um, you will probably spot me in a suit, <laughs> because I've been asked to be a part of it. I think I just have to stand on a step with some other faith leaders and say, God save the king, but it's, um, but it's an honour to have been asked, and so I'll be making my way down there, and then I'm going to come back for the Getting Connected lunch after that as well, in my suit. Um, Tommy in our elders WhatsApp early was trying to campaign for me to wear the suit as I was preaching this morning. You don't get that unless it's a wedding, okay? Just to say that. But maybe you'd like to come and join us for that. 
Okay, here we go. We're in Psalm 29 today. We've just got a, a few standalone messages before we start a new uh, series in October. Psalm 29 is where I felt God lead me. This is a message, thank you, this is a message of courage and comfort, a message of, of breakthrough and of peace. And uh, we've had an extraordinary summer, haven't we? It's been three or four months of wall-to-wall sunshine. England was no longer the green and pleasant land. It was the brown and pleasant land. And uh, it's been amazing. If you booked a holiday in this country, then you really did well this year. Uh, Sarah and I and our children, we went to Spain for a week. We booked it a few years ago, finally got to go on it. And we were trying to say to the kids, hey, we're going to get really, really good weather. It's going to be amazing. And the day we got on the plane to fly to Spain, it was 38 degrees in this country. So we thought, oh, what's the point? But there we go. We had a good time. It's been an incredible summer, just incredible weather. Even the most pasty of us have probably got a little bit of color on our skin now after a scorching summer. And what has then happened, as often happens in this country, when we have good weather, it's followed by thunderstorms. And we've had a number of thunderstorms this week, lots of rain. Suddenly, we're starting to see the grass become green again. It's amazing the power of a storm to bring some transformation. And in the psalm that we're going to read in just a moment, King David, who at the time, king of Israel, the guy who had beaten Goliath in battle, he's watching a storm coming over, uh, firstly in the north, Lebanon, and then down over Israel, and then down into the wilderness of Egypt. He's seeing a mighty storm. And as he watches this storm, his soul is kind of moved, and he starts to describe in poetic language the strength of the storm. And he sees in it the majesty and the transforming power of God's voice expressed in it. So this is what we're going to read now, Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So Psalm 29 is a psalm about the majesty of God. There's not much petitioning there. There's not much of a cry for help there. It's David blown away at the majesty of God. Now we place a lot of emphasis on God being personal and knowable and him now through faith in Jesus being our father, adopting us. These are truths that we glory in, that we'll keep preaching and proclaiming. But sometimes we don't place much emphasis and stress on the majesty of God. He is mighty. He is so infinite and eternal. We are in his hands, but he, he can never be in our hands. 
We can never quite grasp a hold of all that he is. He is majestic. He is wonderful. And humanity generally has quite a puffed up view of itself, right? We talk about being on the right side of history or on the wrong side of history. Have you heard that phrase before? So-and-so, they're going to find themselves on the wrong side of history. Have you ever thought about how arrogant a statement that is? <laughs> it doesn't get much more arrogant than that. When you say, hey, I'm on the right side of history on this, and so-and-so is on the wrong side of history here, you're implying that you have the full revelation of everything there ever is to know, that you are absolutely right in all of your decrees, that you are right in all of your assumptions about life, and that other people are wrong. It's a very arrogant thing to say, isn't it? And yet, in the 21st century, we hear that phrase a lot. There's a whole load of pride kind of running through our society. And I think that that sense of pride thrives when we, we lose a sense of awe at the majesty of God. When we lose a sense of how majestic he is. When we lose a sense of how terrible he is. That's an old word that's become a negative word. But it's actually, it used to be a positive word. Where we... We would talk of we would stand before him and would shape how awesome he is. We've lost a sense of that, and pride thrives when we lose sight of that. And every so often, things happen that cause us to stand in awe. Every so often, things happen that cause our egos to deflate a bit. Storms happen, literal storms like we've seen this week. Mighty flashes of lightning, rolls of thunder, and we stand in awe. And sometimes it's storms of pandemics or storms of war and storms that we think, I'm not in control here. I thought I could control everything. And I'm stood here and I, I can't control what's going on. And we realize I'm just a man or I'm just a woman. I can't control the things. I'm not the one who's in charge. I'm not the one on the throne. Storms make us feel small, like we're at the mercy of things beyond our control. And as we, as we watch a storm, that's true, isn't it? We can do nothing but watch it. Just hide away inside, hopefully somewhere safe, and just watch. And we're fascinated by storms, aren't we? My kids will run to the window. If, they, if there's lightning going on, they run to the window. Sometimes it'll be in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., and I'll feel Sarah's not in the bed next to me. She's, what, what are you doing, love? I'm watching the storm. I'm watching the storm. I'm fascinated by it. I'm drawn to it. Why? Why are we so in awe? I think it's because we were, we were made for this. We were made to know a sense of wonder at the majesty of God. This is what we were made for. We were made to stand in awe at his power. Just think about it for a moment. In the, in the natural there's no, lightning isn't good news, is it? In the natural, there's, no, there's nothing we think, well, at least there'd be some good coming out of it. No, we don't. there's nothing good coming out of lightning. But yet we're drawn to it. And, and the great, oh, famous, I should say, not necessarily great, the famous atheist from the last century, Bertrand Russell, he said, everything in this world is the product of an accidental collocation. That's a fancy word for coming together. An accidental coming together of atoms. Everything in this world is just, just a product of an accidental coming together of atoms. Now, if that's true, why on earth are we drawn to things like lightning storms and sunsets? Because everything is, an, everything is an accident and we're a product simply of evolution, then really, 
our, our brains are kind of neurologically hardwired for things that will enhance our survival. Okay, so we might find a forest beautiful because our ancestors once found food there. And so in our, in our minds, our brains, we're thinking, hey, that's a good place. That's going to enhance my survival. I might find shelter there. Or, or we might find someone of the opposite sex beautiful because, hey, you know, that, that's going to enhance the survival of our species. We can procreate. But otherwise, there's no benefit to a lightning storm or a sunset, is there? That's just bad news. In fact, it's the opposite, right? The sun's going down, it's going to be trouble. I might be vulnerable to predators. And yet we're drawn to them. We take pictures of them. We put them online. We say, look, everyone, look at this sunset. Look at this lightning storm. Be in awe. Because I believe, friends, that we were made to be exhilarated at the majesty of God and his awesome power on display. We were made for it. We were made to be filled up by it. That we'd stand in awe of him and, and come to see that he's behind it all. Naturally speaking, these things are not good news. There's no explanations to why we find these things fascinating, why we stand and watch them. We were made to rejoice and revel in the majesty of God, or as this psalm puts it, to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, we speak of awesome quite a lot, don't we? We say that pizza was awesome. Uh, we talk about that concert was awesome, that goal was awesome. Now, what we're really talking about is something that was momentarily pleasurable. That's, that's, re- those things are really not awesome. I do it, you do it. We say, yeah, how was your day? It was awesome. Well, did you at any point in your day just stand and go, whoa? No, we didn't. We just maybe had a nice lunch or something. Awesome started out as a word to describe the overwhelming feeling of awe, where we get reminded that we're not God and that he is where we get reminded that we're not king and on the throne, but he is. To be brought brought face to face with our limits and to see that he is limitless. That's what awesome is really all about. And we, we need moments like that. I think we had some moments like that even in our time of praise and worship this morning. Praise to the king, to the Lord. Just standing in awe of him, the lamb, the one who laid down his life for us. We need moments like this regularly. We need moments like this where we come face to face with the majesty of God and we stand in awe. We need this, my friends, we need it. And the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and in chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah, God comes to him and speaks to him for the benefit of the people of Israel. There are people who are secretly despairing kind of despondent, really. The, the, the tide of events have been going against them for some time. They're wondering, are the things of God ever going to prosper again? Are we as a people going to prosper again? And God comes to them, and he brings them a message of comfort. They needed to hear the voice of the Lord. They needed to be reminded of the majesty of the Lord. They need to hear his voice thundering to them, like we've read in this psalm. The most powerful sound in the universe, the voice of God, is what they needed. And we may need this right now, I think. We, as we've prayed this week, we've been praying about the storms that are kind of crashing upon this nation. One of the cost of living crisis and the next few months, maybe even the next year or two, may be very difficult for some here. It may be very difficult for people across this town and this nation. There's a storm coming. There already is a storm of a rising 
uh, secularism in our nation, where ungodly thinking seems to be winning the day in the court of public opinion, ungodly thinking and teaching rising up in universities and in our TV, on our TV screens and in our schools. And we might feel like we're despairing a little bit. We might feel like, God, are you really going to come through? God, is your, are your purposes really going to prevail? Individually, you might be thinking, am I really going to get through this winter? Are we going to have enough? Are we going to have enough to put food on the table? We might be secretly despairing, may not even tell anyone, just feeling this inner sense of dread. Listen, what you need is not a cheesy slogan. What you need is not some sort of cheap comfort. You need to hear the voice of God. You need to see him for who he is. You need to have your heads lifted to him. On Wednesday, I went and spent some time with my friend Luke Howard. Many of you know Luke, part of this church. And often what happens when I catch up with Luke is uh, we end up talking to lots of random strangers and asking if they would like prayer and sharing the gospel with them. That's just tends to what, what, if Luke says, hey, should we catch up? Just be prepared, all right? And we were walking around the waterfront. Just having, we were having a good catch-up. Every so often, we just feel God lead us to some people. And we spoke to three people just sitting down, having their, their lunch. And we just said, hey, I'm Tom, I'm Luke. We're Christians, can we pray for you for anything? And um, the conversation unfolded. And um, one young lady said, I don't have a faith. I really respect those that do. I kind of wish I did. But I, I feel like the universe is looking after me, is what she said. And I just respectfully said, oh, I've heard people say that before. What does it mean? And she said, I don't really know, to be honest, but people say it, don't they? <laughs> Listen, we can sometimes have like just cheap slogans like that. Someone up there is looking out for me, or the universe is looking after me. We, this is not ultimately going to bring comfort when, when the storm comes and when floods rise up. We need to, to know who God is and what he's like. We need to be, have, our, have our minds filled. We need to have the horizon of our minds filled with who God is. So here we go. This is what God comes to, to Isaiah and chapter 40, if you have a Bible with you. And he starts to, to roll out his impressive CV to Isaiah in a, in a time where the nation is quaking, where the people of God are feeling very, very despondent. God decides it's time to share his CV with Isaiah and with the people of Israel. This is what it says in verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span. Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, like a bucket. And weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? God's starting to unroll some very impressive things here. He starts talking about the waters on earth. This is talking about one sextillion, 260 quintillion liters of water on the planet. That's beautiful fish, 
billions of them. It's hundreds of thousands of whales and porpoises and the squids and the little plankton guys. This is God, and it's one hand. It's a one-handed task for him. He can hold it in his hand. He's got another hand free to do whatever else he wants to do. He's saying, who's done that, Isaiah? Who's done that, Israel? And with the breadth of his hand marked out the heavens, listen, mighty man, mighty humanity, having poured billions into NASA, billions, hundreds of billions into NASA and into all kinds of telescope uh, uh, schemes, we still haven't found the end of the universe. We still haven't found where it ends. We don't know what it looks like beyond a certain point. We've got no idea. We've identified some stars, a group of stars somewhere, and we've called them HD1, which is not a very impressive name. We've called it HD1. And this is kind of the area around it. Isn't it beautiful? Is it stunning? And God knows exactly where there is no more. With one hand, he's just said, right, that's enough now. You stop there, universe. And yet with all of our might and our billions and our very, very clever people, we haven't found the end. This HD1, this group of stars, is 13.5 billion light years away. I don't know what that means. I haven't really got into Star Trek and stuff. But listen, this is what a light year is. A light year is 6 trillion miles. So times 6 trillion miles by 13.5 billion, and you are there at HD1. So that's the furthest part we can see at the moment. And God has marked off the edge. He knows where it ends. Who has held the dust of the earth in a bucket? The Amazon rainforest. Do you like my bucket? It's nice, isn't it? The Amazon rainforest, the Great Plains of Africa, the Grand Canyon, the Coral Reef, the massive expanse of Russia and Siberia, Felix Stowe Seafront, <laughs> all in a bucket. This is our God. This is our God. Have you, have you ever weighed the mountains on a scale, God asks? Who's the tallest person here? I'm, I'm going to venture it's Rob Wright. If Rob Wright's the tallest person here, then listen to this. Mount Everest is 4,398 times Rob Wright. <laughs> so if you pile him on top of each other that many times, you'll get to the height of Mount Everest. God has put Mount Everest on some scales. He knows exactly how much it weighs. We can probably, with our kind of, you know, clever scientists, have a little guess. He knows exactly how much it weighs. And he didn't need any advice to accomplish this. He didn't need anyone to, to counsel him. Over my sabbatical, I did a few DIY jobs around the house. I painted a couple of doors, glossed them. I was very proud of myself. But listen, I had to consult a YouTube video just to know I was doing it right. <laughs> I just had to make sure. What's the best way to gloss a door? God didn't need any advice, didn't need any counsel when he put this all together. And then God goes on, verses 15 to 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. So he says, look at the nations. 
And Israel would have looked at Assyria and all the other nations around them that were mighty. He's inviting us to look at the nations of the world, the mighty nations, the USA, Russia, China. Look at the nations, God is saying. Look at the nations with the US with its thousands of tanks. It has something like 14,000 warplanes. It's got an economy of $28 trillion. China with its army of 3 million. And God says, it's like a drop in a bucket. It just falls to the floor. That's what God says of those nations. We might be caused to fear. We might be caused to fear those even in our nation, those who have power, those who have influence, those who may make us feel timid, make us feel scared, those that we might think, oh, if they think badly of me, then I'm, I'm ruined. And God says, all of that is like a drop in a bucket. He says of them, as we'll read on, they're like grasshoppers to me. The nations don't even, they register as, as dust on the scales for God. Have you ever messed around with your mum's scales? Think, oh, I'm going to find something that barely registers. The, the lightest thing I can find that just, just about shows up. Have you ever done that? That's the, that's the nations of the world. The might and power of the world. And all of its weaponry, all of its money, all of its science and achievements. God says it's like a drop in a bucket. It's like dust on the scales. Verses 21 to 23. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. The world dwarfs us, doesn't it? We feel so small when we think about the, the, the vast expanse of the earth. Well, listen, the earth is completely dwarfed by our God. And he deeply cares. He has compassion, friends. He really does care. But all of the wars and all of the clamor for popularity and fame and all of the politicians and the clever people presenting arguments against God, it's like grasshoppers chirping for God. I'm not, I'm not quaking at a grasshopper. If I see a grasshopper, maybe you would. I'm not scared of a grasshopper. God's, he's, not, he's not panicking, friends. You need to understand that. There's never been a situation in which God is the underdog. There's, ne there's never been a moment where he's been in any way intimidated by the strength of the opposition. I've played many a football match, <laughs> and you look across to the other side when you're warming up, and you think, they look huge. And they're not really. Just, I don't know how it works out, really. They, you get a bit close, and you think, no, I'm the same size. But they look huge, and they look fit. They look a lot fitter. That's probably true. But there's never been a moment where God's looked on a situation. There's never been a moment when God has looked on a situation and has been intimidated. There's never come a moment because he's never the underdog, friends. And so all of the things that might be facing you, all of the things that might be facing our nation, facing the world, God is not looking on with any anxiety in his heart. He's not worried. 
He's not worried. He sits above the earth, and all of the clamoring and the arguments are like grasshoppers chirping for him. Look at the world's princesses, princes and princesses, those held in high esteem. Ronaldo, with the biggest amount of followers on Instagram you can ever get. Beyonce, Kim Kardashian, Elon Musk, all these world's princes and princesses that everyone adores. They're not majestic in the slightest compared to him. All the rulers of the world, Joe Biden, President Xi, Vladimir Putin, he brings them to nothing. He's not intimidated. He's the one who's really in control. Verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Listen, we couldn't come up with enough names to name a fraction of the stars in our galaxy. The cleverest person here is probably Tim Meadows. Some of you know Tim. He's a master in chemistry. I've been at pub quizzes with him, and I think, how, how on earth do you even know the answer to that? Like, he's the cleverest guy I know. Pharmacy, I should say. He's a clever guy. And he is the cleverest person here, maybe. Uh, would know about 75,000 words. There are 300 billion stars in our galaxy alone. So even if we named all of those stars after the 75,000 words that we might know, we've only named a tiny fraction of the stars in our galaxy alone. I think God can come up with something better than HD1. Do you? <laughs> 300 billion stars, and he knows them all by name. He knows all about them. He knows when one's missing. He knows when one dies. He knows when a star comes to an end. This is our God. This is our God, folks. This is our God. And then he finishes with this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's like God is saying to Isaiah and saying to Israel, uh, what's up, guys? Have you imagined that I've got tired and weary? Have you imagined after a few thousand years of looking after you that I've, I've suddenly got a bit fatigued? Have you, have you not known? Have you not, have you not known? I'm the everlasting God. I don't get tired. I don't grow weary. My power continues. My might continues. Hasn't to, has anyone not told you the truth about me? That's what God's saying. Do you not know the truth about me? Our God is, is awesome. His voice is awesome. It's the most powerful sound in the universe. And this psalm, Psalm 29 that we read at the beginning, it teaches us that his voice ultimately brings breakthrough and it brings peace. 
It brings breakthrough and it brings peace. The God whose voice thunders that can break a giant theater tree in half and causes the wilderness to shake, he is the God of breakthrough. Nothing is too difficult for him. We sing that song, don't we, sometimes? There's no prison wall you can't break, break through. There's no mountain you can't move. Nothing is impossible for you. There's nothing impossible for him. He is the God of breakthrough. He's the one who breaks through. And we might consider that the, the spiritual drought that is upon this nation right now, where maybe 5% or fewer would consider themselves Christians, who would actually worship Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life, maybe 5% of people. It's a spiritual drought upon our nation. And we might see the rise of secular thinking. And even this week, a health secretary gets appointed one minute, and then within 10 minutes, there's people clamoring for her to be sacked because she personally opposes abortion. It's a very sad state of affairs in our nation. And we might look on and think, God, what are you doing? How long, O oh Lord? And yet he's the God of breakthrough. He's the God who can break through. He does it again and again and again. We needn't look on in despair, friends. We needn't. He's the God who broke through into my life as a 16-year-old, not interested in God, just, wa just wanted to get the girls. That's all I wanted. I wanted to be popular, just full of pride. God broke in. He's the God who broke into the, the life of the Apostle Paul, who was just wanting to throw people, Christians in prison or have them killed and tortured so they might deny Jesus. He's the one who broke into his life, turned him around. He became the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. And Luke and I were walking along the waterfront. We stopped a guy. We said, hey, we pray for you. He looked at us. He said, prayer? Did you say prayer? We said, yeah. And he said, hell no. And he said, the only good church is a burning church. This is what he said to us. And he said, I detest God. I detest religion. That's what he said to us. No word of a lie. No exaggeration. He really didn't want to be prayed for. As we walked away, we prayed for him. <laughs> I believe God will break through into his life because there's no prison wall that he can't break through. There's no mountain he can't move. All things are possible for him, amen? amen? He can do it. He can do it. He will break through, friends. And there might be things in your life you're looking on and you think, how is he ever going to break into the life of my child? How is he ever going to break into the life of my mom or dad or sister or, or husband or wife? You might be looking on thinking, Lord, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. He's the God who can break through. Just one utterance from his, of his voice, and he can open up the, the most hardened heart. He can do it. Let's keep calling out to him. Let's be expectant. I believe this week, as we had our week of prayer, that God is he's growing a sense of expectancy in our hearts for him to move in great power. Those of you who've been at different events this week, I think that's been one of the things he's been doing, growing a sense of expectancy that as he speaks, others are going to come to life. People are going to come to new life in him as, he, as his voice goes out. I believe that he's been growing our expectancy and growing our expectancy that when we speak, when we utter his name, when we share the good news of Jesus with people, that he is going to breathe new life. His voice is going to come and it's going to shake the wilderness and it's going to cause new birth. He's going to do it. I believe he's stirring us with this. He has the power to break through and in the coming weeks, in the months of October, and November, we're going to have baptisms every single week. We've got 17 people exploring baptism with us at the moment, and we're going to look to have baptisms every single week, just two or three every single week is what we're going to look to do. 
And I believe that God is, as people share their testimonies, as we watch their videos, there's going to be power in that. And the voice of God is going to come through and break into lives. I believe for that. I believe there's going to be people here who say, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to get baptized. It's going to happen. I'm expectant of this. God is bringing to us experienced, uh, godly men and women who have been around the block a bit. And he's preparing us to expect much new birth. He's, he's preparing to us to expect many people to, to, to need discipleship and care. He's preparing us in this. I've met a number of people in this last couple of weeks since I've been back, and I thought, man, it's going to be amazing. When you get stuck in here, you're going to help raise many. He's doing it, friends. He's going to do it. And this week, as we prayed on Thursday night, Esme Virgo had this word. I want to just read it to you because it's so um, apt for uh, where we're at as a nation right now. We were praying about the cost of living crisis, and, and this is what Esme said. I felt that God spoke to me. I felt like he would say that usually... When a storm is coming, the sensible thing to do is to gather everyone in and batten down the hatches and brace yourself. But actually, he's calling us to do the opposite. We're to throw open the doors and the windows, and that seems crazy, as we might think. But the dark and the wind and the rain will come in, and it will get messy. But he's saying that's what's needed. And we're to do that in our homes and in our home here as well, talking of the Hope Center. I wonder if we can pray in a couple of minutes' time that instead of hunkering down in self-preservation, that we will open wide the doors. That in this time where maybe many are anxious, where maybe even here some are anxious, that we would instead of kind of, yeah, shutting down the, ha- the, the, the bat, what's the word? The, the batons, <laughs> batting down the hatches even, that we would step out in generosity and with faith in our hearts. Can we, can we after this week of prayer that we've just had, keep calling out to God in expectancy? Can we keep calling out to him that he would come and move in this town and in this area? Can we keep calling out to him? Because he's got more for us. And as we've heard earlier on, we're celebrating about a year in this building in a couple of weeks' time, and God has got way more for us. We're not stopping there. It's not like, hey, we've got a nice building, and that's just job done. No, God's got many, many people in this town. We believe that, and we want to see them come to know him. Can we pray that all of the things that God is doing, the wondrous things he's doing amongst our youth right now, will continue to grow and to snowball and for protection over them? Can we keep praying for our young people? He's doing amazing things. The the prayer meetings this week, we've we've enjoyed having youth coming to many of them. It's been so good. Can we pray that our hearts will also be full of peace? I want to just read to you these last couple of verses from Psalm 29. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Can we pray that we will know peace? How do you want to come through this, guys? How do you want to come through this cost of living crisis? What do you want it to look like for you? What other storms may come our way in the months to come? How do you want it to look like? Do you want to be characterized and be marked by peace? Some of you might be looking on thinking, I think my company might be going under because of the recession that may or may not be upon us. Are you going to know a peace because you're dwelling with God? A peace that passes all understanding? A peace that others can't quite understand? 
I remember as a social worker, 2010, big cuts to the uh, public sector. We didn't have enough staff. We were snowed under in some ways. And one of my colleagues said to me, how is it that you're so peaceful in this time? How is it that you're so peaceful? Listen, friends, we've got a, an opportunity to demonstrate in the months to come peace because God is on the throne and he won't be dethroned and he's for us. He is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? We can be sure of these things because he didn't spare his only son for us. He, he gave him up for us, for our salvation. And as we look to Jesus on the cross, we can say, God, you didn't spare your own son. You're going to give me everything else I need. And on the cross, Jesus, his voice thundered out loud. It is finished. And there was an earthquake. And the temple of, uh, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. The most powerful sound in the world. Listen, we can be so sure that God is with us. He's going to give us everything we need. And we can be sure because we can look to the cross. God didn't spare his only son for us. Gave him up for us. So we don't need to fear. The peace of God can come to our hearts. Whatever else you might be fearing right now, you can know a peace that passes all understanding. An inner quiet that just dominates your, your innermost being. You can know that. And I want to pray for us that we would know that. Let's pray for that first, and then we're going to just pray for our, our nation some more. And uh, Tim Mann, you might want to just come and, where are you? Come and play for us. Let's just stay seated for just a moment. Father God, we come before you now. You're the majestic one. The one whose voice thunders out, bringing transformation, bringing change, bringing new life shaking the wilderness and you're the one who sits enthroned forever you sit enthroned above the flood you sit enthroned Lord nothing will ever knock you off your throne you don't grow faint or weary you never have and I want to right now ask you that you would come and bring peace to your people in a, in a turbulent time in many ways we pray for peace. Would we be marked by peace? Why don't you just pray that for yourself where you are? Lord, mark me with your peace. Let the peace of God dominate my innermost being, trusting he's on the throne, trusting he's for me. Lord, let that be the case for us. Come and bring peace right now, right across this room. Whatever might be welling up within us, whatever we might be anxious about, what is the first thing we think of in the morning? Lord, you can bring peace right now. We trust you for that. You're the God of breakthrough, Lord. Should we stand together? Let's pray to the God of breakthrough. Just <laughs> He's the God who can move in power, one utterance of his voice, and things change. Should we lift our hands together? 
And let's just cry out to him. Just in this extraordinary week, it feels like we're living through history. We're coming to the one who is over it all, the majestic one. And Lord, we cry out to you, would you come with breakthrough power in our church and in our town, in our nation? Would you break through, Lord? Why don't you just let your voices rise up, brothers and sisters? Would you come and break through power? Would you come, Lord, as this nation knows some shaking? Lord God, would people come to see you as the only firm foundation on which to stand on? Would people come to see you? Lord, as in the days to come, as we hear uh, more tributes to the Queen, Lord, would people hear of her faith in you? And would they be stirred to call out to you whilst you may still be found? Would it be the case, Lord, that many come to know you? Lord, we pray for the Alpha course that's starting in a couple of weeks' time. Would many come on it, Lord? Would many who, who need to know you come on it, Lord? Many who are uh, confused, anxious, broken in many ways, beaten up by life. Will we see many on it, Lord, hearing about life in Jesus? Would you come in breakthrough power, Lord God? Would you come in breakthrough power? Lord God, we need you. We need you to come and, 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 and arrest hearts in this nation. We say we are, we've had enough of the way in which this nation has turned its back on you. We've had enough of the rise of ungodly thinking coming to the fore. And we say, Lord God, have your way. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come in Ipswich. Let your kingdom come in England, in the United Kingdom. Let it come, Lord, as it is in 